0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to focus primarily on one verse, verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. But to gain the context of that, we're going to read verses 5 through 11, just so that you are aware of that. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning. To Big Woods Bible Church. What a blessing it has already been. Thank you, Matt, for leading us and the others um, before the throne in worship. Thank you, Pastor Stewart, as well. I did want to just briefly announce, as I alluded to a couple weeks ago, um, regarding Pastor Stewart's ordination council. And I report to you, as of yesterday, uh, Pastor Stewart sat before a panel of all elders and colleagues, area pastors, and was thoroughly examined, questioned regarding the uh, doctrinal belief that we hold to, adhere to, and how he has been able to defend it according to the authority of Scripture. Um, so, was about four hours of direct questioning and I report to you as we were able to report to Stuart uh, yesterday afternoon that he was unanimously approved and so we celebrate alongside of Pastor Stewart. <clears throat> On that note, just so that you know, next week is going to be a little different, where we're going to pause from our series that I've been in, Spiritual Warfare, and we're going to um, have a celebration by way of an official laying on of the hands of Pastor Stewart, and I'll be preaching from a text in 1 Timothy that speaks to each of us and reminds us about the calling and the responsibilities of a shepherd I thank the Lord for Stuart and Cheyenne. He goes all the way back to 2016 when he started as a part-time pastor here as a youth pastor and now has grown into a godly, wonderful uh, young man that I am so proud of and love as our Pastor of Family Ministries, Associate Pastor of Family Ministries. So look forward to a celebration next week. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Um, We are going to dive into a subject that, wow. To tell you the truth, I, I don't know if I have preached an entire message on this one subject, on this one individual, our enemy. I just don't like to give him that much credit. I don't like to give him that much air time. However, in light of our study in spiritual warfare, it is imperative that we understand the truth about the enemy. Let's bow our heads and pray as we ask for the Lord to guide us through this time in his word this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you that it is through Christ that we come. We thank you, Lord, for the sufficiency of your word that is absolute truth, that guides us, especially when it comes to a subject that we examine today. Father, I thank you that you are sovereign over all. That although at some level you have given a place, and space for the enemy to work and we witness his destruction and his his deviant plans all around I thank you Lord that we know how the story ends we thank you Lord that there is victory through the Lord Jesus Christ Father I would pray that you would open our eyes that we would not be deceived by the lies and the schemes and the tactics of the enemy. I pray, Lord, that we would be people that know your word, that we do not run or hide in fear. We have nothing to fear when we are covered by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I would ask, even right now, that you would protect us as a church from from the wiles of the enemy. What says in your word is like a roaring lion seeking, looking for someone to devour. Father, we know that you are Lord over all. And we rest and we trust. We have confidence in you. Thank you. Please help me to speak clear. May everything that is spoken be for your honor and glory. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen and amen. Second Corinthians chapter two, we begin in verse five just to set the context of verse 11 now if anyone has caused pain he has caused it not to me but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you for such a one this punishment by the majority is enough so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow so i beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that, so that we would not be outwitted by satan for we are not ignorant of his designs the word of the lord the the context we have to understand that paul is writing here to the church in corinth is addressing the fractures that have come into the body of christ the local church as a result of sin Now the author is teaching us about the importance of forgiving a sinful brother or sister. Since we have been extended forgiveness, we are to also forgive. But what I want to do this morning is is draw your attention to how he concludes this section with an important statement that actually points to a truth that we all need to consider in light of our topic our series on spiritual warfare. Why is that important? Because it reveals to us that Satan's designs are to destroy and fracture the local church. Satan's design is to what? Destroy mutual forgiveness, destroy love between one another, destroy unity within the body. And it teaches us that the enemy has a plan. He has, he has a strategy and tactics and schemes as he seeks to cause ruin, destruction within the body of Christ. Now we all know, as we addressed last week, we are involved in spiritual warfare. Therefore, it is imperative that we understand the truth about the enemy. But as I reminded you last week, what? We need to avoid the extremes. C.S. Lewis reminded us, what? There's two extremes. Either A, we just disbelieve the whole thing. Really, that doesn't doesn't really happen. That doesn't really take place, does it? Or the opposite extreme, which is what? We're absolutely infatuated by. It captivates every bit of our attention. Yes, we are to learn about the enemy, but that does not mean take our focus off of God, where it says in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know the truth of Scripture. That's why we know the the sword of the Spirit, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 6, which is the word of God. Now, why is this important? Step back for a moment, just revealed to you a recent survey that has been taken. It's referred to as the State of Theology. Every two years, both Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research have partnered together to do a survey. In a sense, it takes the theological temperature of the United States and it helps us as Christians to, 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 first of all, better understand our culture, what's going on in our culture. But also equip the church with better insights towards discipleship. And this survey takes place amongst evangelicals. That's, that's us. We believe the word of God. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to note here as I reveal to you some things. The, the increase and the ever increasing number of people that continue to doubt and question and disbelieve the authority of scripture. Let me just give you a little snapshot by way of the last couple years. question was asked, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Do you agree or disagree with that? So God accepts any religion, not just what? I am the way, the truth, and life. In 2020, 42% of evangelicals 42 percent that's almost one out of two would say yes of course God accepts all religions doesn't matter if it's Judaism or Islam that's 2020 in 2022 this year it has rocketed to 56 percent 56 percent of evangelicals so-called would say yeah it doesn't really matter what religion as long as you have a religion Let me give you another one. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not really God. 2020, 30%. 2022, 43% of people who sit in churches and pews. 43% of people say that they don't even believe in the divinity of Jesus? What's happening within the context of the local church? Here's another one. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. So the Bible's not literally true. In 2020, 15% said it's not literally true. In 2022, this year, 26%. Everything is based and the authority and sufficiency in Scripture. And yet, 26% of so-called Christians would say, it's not really literal. You can't take that literal. Finally, re- religious, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, and it is not objective truth. And evangelicals in 2020, 23% said that, that a religious belief isn't objective. In 2022, 38 percent everything continues to climb why why, why is that what, what are pastors teaching what are pastors preaching people today why and how are people coming to this conclusion now think if people do not accept and acknowledge the word of god as truthful the word of god as accurate the word of god as relevant it's very easy to see, or, or some people Sally would even think it's funny to joke about a little cartoonish-like figure. A, a red guy with a tail and a pitchfork. Who kind of sits on your shoulder whispering in your ears. Go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Yet, as I mentioned last week, we know, we know how real the enemy is. And how dangerous, how destructive the enemy is. Therefore we need to understand a couple things. The first thing we need to understand is this. The history of the enemy. Like, how, like how, did, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Number one, the history of the enemy. And there's going to be a lot of texts here that I'm going to give to you. I won't read every single one. You can write them down if you need others. I can send them to you this week. The Bible speaks on many occasions of Satan, which means the, the, the name Satan means adversary. Or one who is against God, an enemy of God, who is the opposer of all that God does and he's the opposer of all that God loves. The enemy is referred to in seven Old Testament books and every single New Testament books. Satan is referred to in 29 times just throughout the Gospels. 25 of those times are mentioned directly by Jesus, as I mentioned to you last week, literally, the grand narrative from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 20, we see, we read how Satan reveals himself as the opposer of, the adversary of God. If you were to study his names, and there are many of them throughout scripture, they reveal to us much about his personhood, his character, and his intents. Satan is referred to as what? The devil in scripture. The word in Greek is diabolos. Where we get our word diabolical from. It literally means false accuser or slanderer. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24. The Jews refer to Satan as Bilzebul. An epitaph derived from Beelzebub. The lord of the fly. Which is a false god of the Philistines in Ekron. He's called the tempter. In First Thessalonians chapter three, verse five, Satan the enemy is referred to as the wicked one. In Matthew chapter thirteen, verse nineteen, Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation chapter twelve and verse ten, and three different titles that all point to the authority that actually Satan does have. He does not have all authority. He does not have final authority, but he has authority in this world. John chapter 12 verse 31, he's described as the ruler of this world. Look around us, and you would agree. He's referred to as the god of this age in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. He's referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says that Satan transforms himself. He has the ability to transform himself as an angel of light, which is a description that highlights his capacity and his inclination to deceive, to look really, really good and deceive. You've heard the term Lucifer, which means morning star, Described in Isaiah chapter 14 and he speaks of one who sought to overthrow God's throne. Now we know what? Certain things about him in his history. And number one is this. We have to understand this. That Satan is a created being. First and foremost. Okay, he did not always exist. Colossians chapter 1 says, For by him... All things were created by God. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now you can look at that little word all there and guess what it means? Everything, all things, everything, everyone. The only uncreated eternal being... In the universe is God himself. Now when exactly was Satan created? It can be difficult, but it appears to be even before the heavens and the earth. In Job chapter 38, it says this, that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy when he laid the foundation of the earth. So at some point, when the foundation of the earth was set, heaven and earth was created, there's already people celebrating. Now we know that there was rebellion. We do not know, have not been given many details, but that a rebellion, that falling, apparently took place sometime between Genesis one thirty one, where things are good very good and genesis chapter 3 when satan obviously tempts adam and eve in the garden so we know first and foremost that we learn about the history of the enemy he was a created being secondly satan is a living and a personal being a lot of times people think that he's just he's just a symbol for that which is evil that he's not literal No, that's not true. Satan is not a force. He's not a power. He's not a myth. He's not a symbol of evil. Rather, he possesses all the traits that are necessary to reveal a a living, actual personality that has intellect, that is crafty, that plots and schemes, that opposes God, that deceives. And he has the ability that we know To do all of these things in in communication. He communicates. The existence of Satan as a personal being is proved by the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ actually recognized him as such. Jesus referred to him frequently by name. Luke chapter 10 verse 18. Matthew chapter 4 verse 10. And called him the prince of this world. In John chapter 12 verse 31. In John chapter 14 verse 30. Yeah, we also know that he's not human. He was what? He was a created being, a cherub, an angel at one point. Which brings us to our third point, by way of the history of Satan. He is a fallen angel. Who once apparently held a position of great importance, of great prominence. And we see this in two Old Testament texts. Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. Let's just briefly examine them. First, the Ezekiel text is addressed to, was referred to as the leader or the king of Tyre in verses 2 through 10, whose evil, this particular king, was so great that he had a spiritual power that was sourced at some level, whom we know the source of this evil, this man was so evil that the source of it is not, could not be human. It can only apply to Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 12, it says that he was filled with violence, he was corrupted in his wisdom by reason of his splendor. At some level, he was once this, but now what? Has a desire to destroy. Not only the Ezekiel chapter 28 text, but in Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah does exactly the same thing. He describes one who is behind the wicked, evil king of Babylon. Satan is described as one who has fallen from heaven. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. He's the star of the morning, he's the son of dawn, and he has weakened the nations. And describes the enemy, who in the very next verses, in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, reveals his arrogance, and reveals as well his, his, his intent, his prideful intent. I will ascend to heavens above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like God. The Most High. The words of our enemy and his intent. We also know in Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul sees, it says that he sees an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. John then later identifies it as that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 12. So at one time, we see that Satan dwelled with God as one of God's cherub. He was brilliant and he was beautiful, but what happened? Pride was his downfall. Now again, we don't know exactly, and we're not just given, so there's, there's areas of Scripture that have not been revealed to us. The rebellion of Satan, where in a sense he, he convinces a third of all the angels to join him in his assault against the Holy One. We're not given details of that rebellion before the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Some things will be revealed to us in the Lord's will. We see things, what, darkly. Someday we see clearly. We know, though, that Satan is a fallen angel. Now, not only do we see the, the history as far as, like, where did he come from and And how does he exist and what's happening? But we also begin to see the schemes of the enemy. How does he work? Let me give to you a couple of them. In the scriptures, we not only learn of Satan's character, who he is, but we also learn about what he does in order to accomplish his goal of opposing God. I think one of the great dangers of the church today is that many people are just completely ignorant. I'm not, I'm not pointing figures. I'm just, I don't think that they've studied it. I don't, think, I don't think pastors have preached about it. So they don't know how he works. Yet, we, as, as we were already reminded, first thing this morning, we cannot be ignorant. We know that Ephesians 6 says that we are to learn how to stand firm and we'll address that throughout the series against the schemes or the strategies and the wiles of the devil now, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. So how, how does he work? Like what is, what is his game plan? First I would say that he, he is an expert of tempting us. He tempts by making sin look alluring. And he uses beauty to appeal to your flesh. He's good at it. Even saw reference this morning in the Garden of Eden. For, for some, what, what is it that he would use? What is it that he would kind of flash before our eyes that could draw our attention away? I think like Satan himself, where pride exists, I think that's one of the biggest things. Forgive me, but a lot of us just think that we're a whole lot better than we really are. That we deserve more. We don't need to be treated like that. And we expect more. And pride gets in the way. And it says what? Pride comes before a fall. Satan tempts us through pride. Our successes can very easily blow our heads up, expand our heads. He tempts us with lust. And and it's, it's it's a lust for many things. We think of lust as as a sexual lust. He will tempt us, and he certainly does that, there's no doubt. But there can be a lust for food or or preoccupation with, if only I could just get this. People use that as an escape. It can be sex, it can be food. It can be just pleasure. I just want to feel good. I'm just tired of the pain. And so what? The enemy is expert at tempting us. He can tempt us with what? We're prone, some of us, toward innate selfishness. The world revolves around you. He tempt us with anger and jealousy. Why can't, why can't my life be like that person's life? And all of these things are just what? It's just what the enemy is, is, is flashing before our eyes. Now, we are not told specifically in the garden what the fruit was that the enemy used to tempt Adam and Eve. We we think of it as an apple, and we kind of use that, but we're not told what type of a fruit it was. And I think in all honesty, that's intentional. It was a literal piece of fruit they bit into it. But I, I think at some level, just like we're not told what the thorn in Paul's side was there was a thorn in his side what was it? we don't know It could have been a lot of different things we're not told specifically we don't need to know specifically it's just what many things the enemy can what use and what what may be effective in tempting one person is totally different totally different for another person the enemy knows that we are designed in a way, particularly through our eyes, that beauty attracts. That beauty appeals to us. And that's where he's going to land oftentimes. It looks so good. He tempts. Secondly, he lies by trying to convince you that God is not who he says he is. I think this is absolutely Paramount by way of what? Did God really say you will die? And so he convinces us. And he's amazingly effective. Look around us at the lies that the world is believing. And one of the biggest lies begins with a a subtle doubt that, that, that he plants a seed of doubt in our hearts. And it's about the goodness of God. How can a, a good God possibly let some of the horrible things happen in the world around us? How can a good God even allow, what, some of the hurts that you've suffered? So Satan, what, he lies to us to say, God is not good Yeah, we have to hold on. We have to hold on tight. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 that God maketh the rain fall on the just and the unjust. That God is revealing his plan to us. Through the brokenness and fallenness of the world, he allows lies to be spewed. And we see the effectiveness of those lies. He also falsely accuses you to keep you from believing the truth of the hope of the gospel. Constantly slandering you. I referenced just briefly Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 referred to as the accuser of our brothers who has been thrown down, who accuses them night and day. How how many times have you believed the lie again of Satan accusing you that you're beyond repair? That your sin is worse than someone else's? That God couldn't love you? God couldn't forgive you? and And he taunts us and he tempts us. By accusing us over and over, he will throw your sins up in front of your face before the throne of God in effort to discredit you. And ultimately, he seeks to discredit the work of the gospel that offers what? An atonement for our sins, payment for our sins, a restoration, a rescue from our sins. And we know that he will not succeed. He will not give up trying. Fourthly, as we learn about some of the schemes of the enemy, and this is so apparent, he sows disunity, or he sows discord amongst Christians. If he can divide us in some way, a church this size, A church with this many people, this many personalities, this many differences, Satan would love to just sow discord. We see this in Matthew chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So we have to beware that even, even small little conflicts that arise between brothers and sisters in Christ, the devil is well skilled at using them. To break apart, to erode fellowship, to breed discontentment. Even when we saw and we read earlier today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, what? Yes, there is sin that exists in people's lives. What is our responsibility? But offer forgiveness to them. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Because we've been forgiven, we can forgive. He loves to use the tiniest little thing. Therefore, what? What? we keep our focus on God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and we know as well what Satan does not work alone he has a host of evil spirits that have been allied allied with him a third of the angels in a sense went with him in his rebellion matthew chapter 12 and verse 24 offers truth that he is the ruler he's the prince of demons Demons that that work to do his bidding, that, that seek to also use the same tactics. Like saying these demons are also fallen angels who joined him in rebellion, but we also have to understand this. They will join him, not only in rebellion, but they will join him in his doom as well. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus speaks of the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Know this. We have to know this. Which brings us to our third and final point this morning. What? We have to understand the limitations of the enemy. That there are limitations. If we were to just pause, we were just to stop and end now on these past points that Satan is living, he is real. He's real powerful. He's personal, proficient in the schemes of tempting and lying and accusing and sowing discord. If we were to just pause on that, it would very easily, what? Draw our attention just to the power that exists and the plan that exists in the evil one. And you could very easily see why people would live in terror about this. They would lose sleep over this. Living in constant fear. Knowing that what Satan is beautiful and yet he's also destructive, people live in constant fear, knowing he's intelligent yet evil. However, thankfully, there are no greater truths to know about the enemy than this, and I would hold on to this. First of all, you have to understand that he is on a leash and he hates it, he's on a leash and he hates it. Secondly, he is on a timer that's ticking, and he knows it. When we were kids, we would walk the edge of the swimming pool in the summertime. And you know where it's hot, and you're like, bet you can't push me in, bet you can't push me in, don't push me in, don't push me in. in." And you know, eventually, at some point, someone's going to push you into the pool. And then what happens? You know this, because you've been here, you've done this. When you know that you've been pushing, you know that what? You've passed that point, and you're going in. You're going to what? You're going you're gonna to claw, you're going to grab. If I'm going in, I'm going to take somebody with me. Because if I'm going in, then we know. And, and I think I have the world record. I told my brothers and my sister, uh, th- sisters this. That, that one time, I was clawing, scratching so many people. I drugged three people. If I was going in, I'm grabbing you, I'm grabbing you. And I took three people. I think it's the world record today. I'm the whole record holder of that. That's exactly how, how the enemy works. He knows he is doomed. He knows that he is damned. And he is, he is scratching and he's clawing to take as many people with him as possible. Now we know, thankfully, thankfully, praise God, he is, he is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. Okay? So he, he, just let me assure you, he cannot read your mind. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows the thoughts and intents. Satan is not. So what does Satan do? He watches you. And he is a very good listener. And, he, and, and when you give him more credit, when you live and walk in fear as opposed to victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, then he pounces on that. And that's why we are what? We are big in our home and, and we are big here at, at our church that we what? We speak audibly, we speak out loud. Satan can't read your mind, but he can hear you. And so we speak often and we read scripture out loud and we sing loud and we play music that fills our home that speaks about the victory that exists in the full finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that when you're covered by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan cannot touch you. He cannot touch you. There are limits. He's on a leash, and what the clock is ticking. Now, as hard as it is for us to understand, as difficult for us to comprehend, nothing Satan does is apart from God's authority. And we wrestle with that. We hear that everything, like this leash idea. And so people step back and are like, wait a minute. Wait, wait one minute. You're telling me all of the war that exists in this world, all of the murder, the bloodshed, all of the abuse... Generations we have seen of genocide, infanticide. And you're telling me God is actually in control? Hear me on this. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. God is in complete control. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 7 through 9. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create darkness calamity i am the lord who does all these things shower O heavens from above let the clouds rain down righteousness let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit let the earth cause them both to sprout i the lord have created it. woe to him who strives with him who formed him a pot among earthen pots does the clay say to him who forms it what are you making why uh, are there no handles in in a sense it reminds us that every single thing that happens all things were created what through him and for him and by him all things are held together we see an example of this very clearly in scripture in our home group we're going through the book of Job Job chapter 2 Actually it's repeated in Job chapter one as well as in job chapter two. listen to this here's an example of the leash that Satan is on Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. in a sense, what so he doesn't do anything apart from the god's authority. And the Lord said to Satan some from from where have you come? God already knew where he was, and yet he asks him. Listen to this response. Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it." It's like asking a teenager, "So what have you been doing? Nothing. What what what? Just around, just hanging around, just just walking to and fro." The Lord said to Satan, have you considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He holds fast, he still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Satan trying to what? Tempt God. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but you'll spare his life. And, and, and we know the story. We know the narrative. Great destruction. Great destruction. Great pain. Great heartache. That God, in a sense, on the leash, allows Satan to cause in the world around us. And we see that everywhere. God is allowing Satan to work his plan with a certain degree of freedom. But I believe he restrains more of his evil than he allows. And just think of the evil that exists in this world. Unrestrained, it would be far worse. God still holds the leash. Please know this, and we we close on this. Satan's end and destruction were publicly secured upon the cross where Jesus died. For that is when and where, as we read in Colossians chapter 2, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Satan knows he's doomed. And he knew it the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave. How do we respond in all of this? Like, what do we do? Like, this is really heavy. We have to be alert. We have to be aware as far as what's going on around us. We've got to know. We're not preoccupied with fear. We don't live in fear. But we have to be aware, be alert. And we also stand firm. Because we know the truth. John chapter 10. I just love this verse. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, please understand. Although we witness unbelievable peril around us. And when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying right here what? You are totally safe. Be, be alert, be aware, be wise. And no thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father we love you and we thank you as hard as this is to hear. I thank you, Lord, that you are at work, that in your sovereign reign that there's nothing that happens, even the chaos. We know that all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to his purpose. Lord, I pray that we would be people of the word, that we would know how to handle the sword of the spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would not live in fear, that you would cover us the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would pray, Lord, that we would have victory against the schemes and the wiles, the lies of the enemy who seeks to destroy and divide. We give you praise. And we pray, Lord, that we would be effective, faithful followers of Jesus as we bring light and speak light and truth in a dark world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.